Joining us today, I have Dr. Jennifer Ripley. She is a licensed clinical psychologist in the state of Virginia. She engages with students in the Karis Institute to promote healthy families and church communities around the world. She and Dr. Sells partner to create, disseminate, and evaluate family ministries in partnership with local leaders. Dr. Ripley also directs the HOPE Project, a long-term clinical research study of the HOPE approach to couple therapy, which we will get into a little bit more here in a moment. Dr. Ripley has received two competitive Templeton Foundation Grant Awards studying Christian marriage counseling. The first with Dr. Sells was successful with over $200,000 for a healthy marriage project in China. She was also the principal investigator for a second grant for over $100,000 studying Christian couple counseling and multiple outpatient practices in the United States as part of the Big Data Bridges Project. Dr. Ripley has two published books on Christian marriage for counselors and pastors, and one under contract. Her one book, Hope-Focused Hope Marriage Counseling, has wide use. In a survey of over 600 clinical members in 2009, Hook and Worthington found that her book was the most recognized and used approach to Christian couple counseling and enrichment, and it was the second in preparation for marriage which is a big deal. That's really cool. Dr. Ripley, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate taking your time. Thank you. Very, very glad to talk with you, Daniel. Yeah, it's good to see you. Um, can you start, just kind of tell us, uh, where did your interest in psychology first begin? Sure. Um, so I was an undergraduate student at Nyack College, uh, which is in New York City. Okay. And very interested in helping others, being a part of a diverse community, all of that. And the field of psychology was a really great way to do that. Um, I had thought I wanted to be a professor for a long time, actually. And so at that point, I thought psychology seemed to be a place to be able to bring my interest in science and diverse communities and helping others and teaching all into one, one profession. So I chose to be a psychology professor, which drove me towards getting my PhD in counseling psychology. Okay, so you have a PhD in counseling psychology, not, not clinical psychology? That's right, yes. Um, and that's primarily because the mentor that I had in graduate school at Dr. Everett Worthington, um, who is retired, sort of, from um, Virginia Commonwealth University, he teaches or taught in a counseling psychology program. And I primarily wanted to work with him because he has done work, uh, really excellent scientific work in both couples, so marriage and in forgiveness from a Christian perspective. And he also was a Christian too, personally. And so I was able to get that kind of mentoring and engagement with my faith and with him, um, which was just very unique in the whole country. Yeah, I, I had no idea. Dr. Garzon has, we've used some Worthington uh, textbooks on, on forgiveness and I've done it with some clients. I had no idea you worked directly with him. I did, like I worked in the office right on downstairs from him and I was in his office multiple times a day for like oh, four wow. years so so we worked very much together and I was there I started graduate school right when he finished his to forgive his human book which was his big launch of forgiveness um that was then and his first hope focused couple counseling book he was writing while I was getting my master's degree oh. um and so I 
you know, engaged in work with him ever since and still do. In fact, we were emailing today about a project we're doing together and looking at spiritual practices with couples. Wow. That's really cool. How did you, how did, because uh, if I'm correct, for like a PhD program, you look up who your mentor, who you want to be a mentor, and then you apply. Uh, how did you hear about Worthington or how did you know about him? Yeah. <laughs> so it was funny because I was working at the career center for my undergrad job, right, at college. And I was writing a paper and um, it was on inf- uh, not it was on um, infertility for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> like that's not like a personal interest or anything ever since then. But he had a paper, um, a book actually that he had written on infertility and in couples. And so I read the book as part of my paper. And I thought, wow, this guy is great. Like what he was writing was just like, wow, he's like a Christian who like really believes this, who like is writing good stuff. So I literally just picked up the phone and because I was working at the institution, I didn't need a long distance card because this was back in the day when you had to like pay for long distance right so I was like I could call him that's like fine to do and um so I called him up and he answered and um I was like okay hi and I introduced myself and just talked to him for for a little bit and you know he warned me and was really competitive to apply for graduate school and all of that and actually the interesting part is I did not really like I suddenly decided, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to apply to grad school. I didn't study for the GRE or anything. I didn't do so well the first time. Oh. And so I didn't get in actually the first oh. time. So then my I got married and my husband and I moved to Richmond where he was oh. and said, well, let's just try it again. And I helped him with a book he was writing a little bit, volunteered um, and got studied hard for the jury and then oh. got in the second oh. time I applied. Wow. So I kind of built a relationship with him a little bit over time. Um, and then, you know, God was gracious mm. to be able to have me match up when he had, he actually had two openings that year for two mentees and I would have been tough otherwise for me to get in with him. Wow. And so you actually started helping him with a, you said a book before you even got into the program there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, I wanted to be known and, yeah. and it was a good way to spend, I was working at a group home oh. for intellectually disabled adults. So it was something in the field of mental health, having just graduated with my bachelor's, but of course, you know, it's not my dream, you know, at the time. <laughs> so I really wanted to do academic stuff. So hmm. I volunteered, he was writing a book on the psychology of adjustment um, kind of thing. And yeah. so I was helping him with that a little, like when I had free time here and there. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask later, but I'll just, this works perfectly into it. Uh, with your with your first book that you wrote, and you've had some success with your books, as I mentioned earlier, um, did that kind of pave the way? Did you, what was it like writing your first book? Was it helpful to have kind of prior experience or did you reach out to people? Like what was, yeah. Right, yeah, so doing my first book, I um, had put it off, to be honest, because, <laughs> well, somewhat, I've been a little snooty about, like, I do research, I don't write popular <laughs> books, you know, and it's yeah. kind of a snooty thing to say. Um, <laughs> I also have just been a busy professor, and I'm not a natural at writing. Oh. So I was up for a sabbatical, and um, which at region is a semester to be able to work on a project where you don't teach or come into meetings you just work on that project and so 
I approached Ev Worthington, who's the second author on that um, okay. book. So it's a Worthington, it's a Ripley and Worthington book. Mm-hmm. And I approached him and said, hey, I've got a sabbatical. I think I'd really like to write, you know, it's been 10 years since the first Hope Focus book came out. I think I'd like to write the updated version. And would you be up for that? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So I had lots of mentoring with him that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was difficult. I'm I'm not a natural writer. Some people can sit down and they like, write this beautiful mm-hmm. 40 pages in a day or something. And that's <laughs> not me. I have to work pretty hard at it. That's not how my brain works. So, um, so I needed a semester to write it. Hmm. Oh, you did it in <laughs> one semester. Did it? Yeah, I did it in about four months um, from the time at which we got accepted from InterVarsity Press as a publisher to the point at which I had like a good draft that Ev and I had agreed on was ready mm. to about four or five months to do that. Was it easier to get a publisher with having his name attached on there? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I, it's extremely difficult to get a publisher unless you've been published. Mm. So one of the best ways to get published is to partner with people who are published already mm. and have, you know, ask them to basically mentor you through the process of second or third author and then uh turn turn that around even then like in particularly in my area marriage and family uh-huh. um you have to have an agent and everything for anything other than academic publications oh, okay so it's pretty competitive for like popular publications yeah and what is the book that you're working on now um so we are working on this one is worthington and ripley so he wanted to write one more um okay. and it, in his post-retirement time frame and this one is with Routledge so we have a contract with them and we are starting writing that next year mm. really and it is a secular version of it so oh. the, fir- the the first two versions with, were with InterVarsity Press so a Christian mm. largely evangelical or ecumenical um, Christian public publisher this one would be uh, secular so we're going to take it and use positive psychology framework and that way it can roll out and be utilized uh, the hope focus approach with any clinician yeah that's cool that's cool and uh so you with the with your research team here at regent you you lead the hope focus project research team right and is that you mentioned that worthington kind of that was one of his first books about the yeah and so that's something that you kind of just adopted and ran with and now you're doing here at region is that is that am i understanding that correctly that's how it went right yeah so when i was at vcu is when the first study was done i was a second year doctoral student then and Uh the first study was being done on hope focused approach so i was one of the clinicians in that study Hmm. and we were implementing it and i just thought this is what I was meant to do. Like, I love this. I love doing the research. There's a creative element to developing approaches where you're developing ideas and interventions and kind of constant revisions based on new new research that comes out in the field. And Mm. so I just thought this is exactly what I want to do. And it, it worked out great. Ev as a person is not um jealous if that makes sense like he is very willing to share and and even you know financial sharing you know so there's like a risk like my publication might have caused his first one to like go down and he's like yeah that's not that's not what matters what matters is we need to get the word out kind of thing Mm -hmm. we need to get you know this this idea the ideas out in the marketplace and so um so i followed his his uh you know lessons on that Mm -hmm. 
and I think, you know, I'm mid career, right. In uh-huh. my life. And he's in his seventies. He's, he's, you know, he's going to keep trucking. He may outlive me at this point. I'm not <laughs> sure, but, um, but, uh, you know, he's, he's working pretty hard still, but, um, but the idea is that a lot of some of the good ideas in marriage intervention were created by people that are now in their seventies, eighties, or have mm-hmm. passed away. Mm-hmm. And you can watch their, their concepts and their research just like Mm. go like "Mm," you know so once the originator kind of passes on if somebody else doesn't take it on as their you know mission Uh then you can see like the impact of it go away and so Mm. maybe when writing that first book about 10 years ago i was really working on that Uh um that that really came to me as like a message from god basically it was just kind of like this is part of who I'm supposed to be is to take that piece of what Ev has done and partner with him and carry it on Mm. so that it lives for hopefully many more decades. Yeah. And that's, that's really neat. Can you, can you tell us about the hope project and kind of maybe what it entails? Sure. Sure. So the hope focus approach is built on a strategic couple therapy framework. Mm. So that's the psychology side of it. Um, It has, um, lots of interventions and approach. And the idea is that couples get into trouble in their relationship because they have lost love, um, which is defined as valuing each other and refusing to devalue each other. Okay. They've lost work. Right? So they're not working on their relationship or they have lost hope um, or faith in their relationship, which mm. hope we define after CR Snyder, who's a social psychologist who defined hope as um, having willpower and way power, basically. So agency and motivation. Mm. So both I'm motivated for change and improvement in my marriage or relationship applied here. It, hope can apply to lots of things, uh-huh. in, anything in life, health goals or whatever. Um, so it's, I want to, I'm motivated, but I also know how the way power. Mm. So the idea in the strategic approach is that we provide strategies for a couple to short circuit their patterns of just, dis- discontent, you know, disconnection and, and, uh, arguments and instead, um, implement different kinds of alternative behaviors. Right. So that's kind of like the basic idea behind strategic. Well, we integrated that. So Ev started this and then I joined him with Christian concepts and you can kind of hear a little bit of that faith, work and love. Right. So that sounds pretty Christian. That's actually built off, uh, off of, you know, the biblical concepts um, of faith working through love from Galatians. Okay. And then it's also built on some other, so like within it, there's lots of things in terms of forgiveness being a major component of it uh as a way to repair relationships. It's not the only way to repair relationship, but in a marriage relationship, it makes a lot of sense to engage Mm. in forgiveness. Um, And um, kind of like increasing valuing love, Mm. increasing humility, so lots of kind of positive Christian virtues, compassion, those kinds of things are built in. So in that way, we can kind of view it either in terms of positive psychology and strategic approaches or in terms of Christian intervention and Christian practices and Christian principles. And they overlap um, and they're really the same. Yeah. Two different lenses on yeah. the same picture. Yeah. So that's that's what we've been doing um, with the hope approach. It's become much more emotionally focused because the research has trended that mm. way in the last 25 years is heavy emotional bond and engagement as the method 
Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, that's really the, the main idea. And then mm-hmm. the HOPE approach, we provide HOPE-focused couple counseling in the clinic at Regent University. Uh, we've, we've done over 500 couples. They haven't all finished. <laughs> but we, we've engaged over 500 couples in some way, either with classes, you know, it's been some classes across time, um, or with um, couple therapy, that mm. sort of thing. How long ago did you start the Hope Focused Approach Research Team here at Regent? We are in our 14th year, so uh-huh. 2007, I think. Uh-huh. No, it's got to be earlier than that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, well, no, 2007 would be 14 years ago, right? Yeah, it's 21 uh-huh. this year. So, yeah, I think that was the year we started. It was 2007. And students coming into the program, they can basically they can join their first year, but they start seeing couples their second year. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, first year is time spent in observing couples in the clinic itself so in the tunnel behind the glass observing what's happening with the couple being part of the team by participating in group supervision weekly and then um giving their ideas that sort of thing and they also read the book in their first year they take a little content test and um they kind of get a sense of how everything works, right? You just learn so much by just doing, right? So getting in there and doing. So they do that the first year. And then second year is typically people start in the psychological services center in their practica. So they would do that um, and start. So second years are clinicians, third years are advanced clinicians. And then in the fourth year, those who've stuck it out, they will be the supervisors and we provide group supervision. So they move into being a couple therapy supervisor that year. Cool. I actually I just spoke with Dr. McLeese the other day and she was saying she went through that project. So yeah. She did. Yes. Jessica McLeese is great. <laughs> and she did go through, she was part of the Hope Project once upon a time. <laughs> you mentioned earlier the work, love, and faith. And the to work and love reminded me of the Freud. Uh that was his kind of to work in love, right? Remember that? Yeah. 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 Um, and then, so yeah, and you were talking about how there's, there is a lot of overlap. So it will be interesting to see this book that you guys are working on to kind of move it over to the secular world. Um, mm-hmm. I also, I, I don't know a whole lot about couples therapy, but I did, I was recommended the John Gottman book. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's, I don't, The Seven Principles, I think, of Making Marriage. Yeah. Um, okay. And how would you say, how much maybe overlap is there with your guys' work and his, or um, maybe the kind of methods behind it? Right, yeah. Yeah. So there is a lot of similarities. So Uh he also has what you call a modular approach, um, Mm -hmm. and we have that as well. So there's an underlying theory behind the sound marital house, Mm -hmm. kind of seven aspects of relationship and building people. And the Gottman approach is people are building towards um, stronger fondness and admiration, you know, stronger spiritual connection is part of it. It's not the centerpiece of it, but it's a piece of the puzzle. Mm. So in that way, it's kind of modular, if that makes sense. So kind of like you kind of focus on what part you want to focus on. It's also heavily researched. So Gottman, to his credit, spent decades you know, his whole career, basically studying couples at major universities with, you know, really big giant grants and wonderful grad students. And, um, and so they did all kinds of work to build basic theory um, that the rest of us have 
learned from, you know? Um, And so he's gone through kind of all the phases of behaviorism and emotion focus that have happened in couple therapy. Um, So there's a lot of similarities there. And in fact, if you look in my book and the hope focus couple book, you'll find some of his interventions sitting in there. Um, So, you know, I I beg, borrow and steal from anything that's good. So, uh, so there's some real similarities there. I think differences are that we are built on a more strategic model. Um, Hope Focus is also explicitly Christian in its primary expression. So it's got kind of like from the theory up, it's got Christian integration all the way through to interventions like prayer, how how to have a good prayer with a, Mm. for a couple, right. Um, And something that's healthy. So, so I would say that versus like Gottman spirituality is more of a module within the larger. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And can you, yeah, I was really interested uh, in reading your bio that um, I mentioned earlier, you got that grant to do the healthy marriage work in China. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That sounds really interesting. Okay. This is the wildest thing that has ever happened to me. Really? (laughs) Okay. This is what happened. (laughs) Is that I'm sitting around one day, all right, and Jim Sells calls me up. Right. And so Jim and I had known each other. He teaches in the counselor education PhD program and he does marriage things also. So we, you know, we talk now and then, but we kind of we're, we're in different programs. So we one thing. He calls me up and he says, so a government agency in China <laughs> called the CBN office in China and said, we have problems in China with divorce. They also mentioned suicide, but with mm. divorce and the divorce rates have been climbing as, as China has westernized, divorce rates have gone from like 5% to like 35%. Okay. Um, so disruptive levels of divorce. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, could CBN help us with that? Wow. Right. So the Dr. Anna at CBN China is just a really wonderful woman. Um, she called up the main CBN office, which if people don't know is connected to Regent right across the street. And uh, Jim's wife works as a reporter for CBN too. So she heard about it and basically they knew about us and they called up Jim and said, Hey, is there anything you want to do here? And Jim and I got our heads together and said, well, what could we, I mean, like when the government of China calls you, (laughs) right. But they didn't come with money. They didn't say, Hey, like, you know, and we thought to do anything in China, we're going to need some resources. So we went to Templeton foundation and we said, look, this is our story. This is what we want to do. Will you fund it? So we went through their process, which takes like a year to go through their process. And they provided funding for us to do that in China. So it was really exciting. Um, Lots of fun things happened. Uh, Wendy was our primary translator to start with. She also ended up getting a master's degree in counseling at Regent as a part of the whole process and became one of the main trainers, which doesn't happen much, by the way, in China, like women don't do teaching much. Mm. It's a new thing for women to do teaching in churches. Uh We also had a male teacher um, to Luke and he had been like, both of them had been very, very um, successful in industry Mm. and given that up in order to do counseling ministry type stuff. So that was really exciting. So we created relationships with them and with an agency in China who publishes books and that sort of thing. And we uh, trained them and did all kinds of stuff. Hey, (laughs) 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 went went for a trip there. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so, so we trained them and, and then they did the trainings. Uh, they did like 
25, 30 trainings, oh. mostly in person, some online. Um, so that was the project. Did you train, did you train them here in the States or did you, well, no, you said you had a translator, right? So you actually went over to China went for there. a while. Mm -hmm. We wow. went there, we went two trips, one at the beginning to kind of like scout, find Wendy, uh -huh. <laughs> find ZDL, which was our publishing company, talk to the CBN office, like kind of get our network together. Uh -huh. um, and then the second trip, we got to bring two students with us, one PhD student, Christine Lau, now mm. Dr. Lau, who's in Hong Kong, um, and she is wonderful. And Lydia Collins, who is a psychologist now in Southern um, Florida, and they came with us, so we had a whole team, and we were able to do, basically, we did the training, and Wendy translated it, and Luke was there, and we created it all in Chinese, and then they took it and started implementing it, and then we had research. We had, like, we had a survey study, we had a pre-post study, we had all kinds of efficacy studies. So That sounds it awesome. Fun. It was really fun. Yeah, I wish we could have done five trips, but... Yeah. You know, it's amazing how quickly uh, grant finances go, <laughs> but but it was it was a great study. We got to support Wendy and Luke and their ministry work through it, which was just maybe the best thing about that was, you know, making a relationship with them and just seeing, you know, God's working in their lives. And, um, you know, and then with the doctoral students who've done who worked with us, they've been able to go on. We had a couple dissertations out of it out of the project so it was really exciting how often is it the chinese government calls you up right and ask you to <laughs> right this so, is the weirdest thing that's ever happened in my life how yeah. was it with the christian aspect of things i know that yeah yeah um it was really exciting to be there and be a part of it i actually grew up um in a denomination called christian missionary alliance so my parents almost became missionaries actually and okay. so we had missionaries in my house all the time growing up like praying for china was like a normal thing like <laughs> um and all of that and so for me to get to go there and actually you know like you're not officially allowed to sit in a chinese church if you're american hmm. so we kind of wandered in late before we were having our speaking engagement so just being able to see like the end of a hmm. chinese you know yeah. church meeting that was in a hotel so hmm. you know it's not like people are hiding and you know that kind of stuff and but having yeah. trainings for church leaders that we did and um talking to people from the three self church the official chinese church hmm. So it was really exciting. Um, I think things maybe now in 2021 are more restrictive than they were when we were there a few years ago. That was mm. when we actually went there. Uh -huh. And um, so things ebb and flow. But at least in Beijing, Christians were actively at work and they were really just a beautiful group of people. Um, That's really neat. It was moving. Mm. I, I went to... Um... I think it was called Xi'an in China. It was, I went to, there's like this mountain, there's mount, there's uh, I think it's near the, the, what is the Sorgers? Um, is, like, is that Southern border area? I don't know. No, um, the, the Terracotta army. Have you heard of them? Oh yeah. 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 Oh, I wish uh, we could have seen that. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> went to go around that region one time and I was by myself and I was, eating and i just um habitually prayed for my food and then uh a few moments later a chinese couple came over to me and they asked if they could sit with me 
And they were like, oh, are you Christian? And then I didn't even understand why they knew that. So I said, oh, what makes you? And they were like, oh, we saw you pray for your food. And they said that they were Christians and missionaries had come through. And we spent, I spent the rest of the day with them. They were awesome. And oh, wow. yeah, so that was really cool. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a whole country of adult converts, basically, right? Mm, like, uh -huh. because conversions are happening so quickly. Um, it's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so working back, I, w I was going to ask, do you do you do much um, individual therapy? Myself, um, I supervise individual therapy. And okay. um, I have, <laughs> like I have one case right now that's a long-term case that I keep, but my, I'm actually only, my own practice, Ripley Consulting is only open to couples at this point. Okay. So I've limited it um, because that's my specialty and I just really yeah. felt like I wanted to focus on that in my own practice. So, yeah. so that's what I do in my, my clinical work. Uh -huh. I, I enjoy individual, I enjoy group therapy a lot too, but um, mm. you know, yeah. There's only so much bandwidth. Yeah, yeah. Of course. I was going to ask about your theoretical orientation and how much does it carry over from maybe an individual lens to couples? Sure, yeah. So I had varied training, which is good. I'm really glad I had really varied training. So I had like CBT, interpersonal. My internship year was seriously psychodynamic and object relations. Mm. Um, and then lots of couples all the way through. So um, I definitely would say that I am heavily influenced by interpersonal theory still, hmm. and I do a good bit of object relations. And then since that time, third wave things have also picked up. And so I've picked up those things with ACT and DBT. And, yeah. um, so I try to flex with what the clients need, obviously, and right. be able to do a little bit of everything, but, um, but I do love, a, I love a good object relations. I love a good Klein or cohort kind of model where I kind of reflect on interjects and hmm. um, mirroring and mother figures and all hmm. of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Thank you. Um, this is kind of a, maybe a silly question, but how is it being a couples therapist and being married? Like, are you, <laughs> yeah. Do you see a lot of, a lot of your marriage or relationship uh, through the lens of like a couples therapist or what's that like? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's always funny. I, when I talk to other couple therapists, you know, who do this, we kind of sometimes will laugh and our spouse is <laughs> just going to bond, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So there's been a, a long time. So you have to remember too, like I got married, I was very young. I was 21. So I've been married to my husband for 28 years mm. with Jeff and I, we've been together since middle school. But, um, so we're, we're a weird couple. <laughs> um, but so he was with me through the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like from the beginning through the whole thing. But we've had a long standing when introducing people. Oh, what do you do? That kind of thing. Oh, I'm a psychologist. I specialize in couple therapy. And if my husband is there, we both kind of look at each other and go, poor <laughs> thing. You know what I mean? It's just a joke. Um, and in, in couple therapy, even like, oh, no, you know. Um, so, yeah, there have been missteps along the way because I'll get really excited about something and I'll be like, oh, we need to read this John Gottman book, honey. I love it. You know, and he's like, um not that guy you know like yeah. he works for the housing department he does he could have been an accountant like he like does paperwork you know mm, like that's uh -huh. his mindset about things and thank god for it because mm. you know the bills wouldn't get paid otherwise so yeah. um so you know so i've made some missteps along the way like just because i'm excited about it doesn't mean that we both have to be excited about it 
but it is helpful to have. And, you know, if nothing else, one of the things that happens in doing couple therapy and writing about couples work is it's humbling mm. because, you know, I'm repeatedly saying things to people, encouraging mm. people to be compassionate, mm. empathize, you know, mm. um, I don't know, use your skills, you know, and mm. relational skills, like what, whatever it is that I'm doing with people, forgive. And then I have to go home and look, you know, and I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm going to have to forgive. Okay. <laughs> do that you know um i know how to do that so um, and and in many ways we're just very lucky having been together so long we were in the same church and everything so we have some really things about our relationship that are easy every couple has easy things and tough things and we have some tough things too but overall um i'm very thankful very Mm. grateful um to have have landed uh, with the love my my life love uh when i was so, so young yeah, it's very lucky. Very, it's very it must be um, very neat to see each other grow so much from from middle school to all the way through middle life now. Yeah, yeah. yeah having raised two daughters together and all of that. So, mm. yeah. So yeah, it's a long, a long life. <laughs> How was it? Um, at what point in your career did you did you decide to start having children? Uh, yeah. So our plan when we were in we were in school together at VCU. Okay. So we were both students dirt poor hmm. in our 20s, throughout our base, our whole 20s, we just had nothing. It was like ramen noodles all the time. Um, so it was just the two of us. And um, so our plan was I was going to try to get tenure first, hmm. and then we would start our family. So probably like in our mid 30s. So kind of a long time to wait. Yeah. But my husband was working politics, actually, at the time and decided he didn't really want to do that anymore. And he really actually felt a sense from God that we should go ahead and start our family Mm -hmm. and he would go and get a master's degree in public administration. And so, you know, we like prayed about it for a little while and then we were like, okay, I guess we could start our family. So we started the family uh, about, let's see, I started at Regent in the summer of 99. I had Lydia in January of 2001. So pretty quickly, um, pretty early. So, um, and then we um, added Liz two years later. So two and a half years apart for them. So we kind of crunched it. There were some things though, like, you know, like, particularly Liz had in July, like that child was like, I really want a July baby. I don't want to have to deal with leaves of absence. I don't want to like all that is really hard. So it's a lot of teachers, whether it's teaching elementary school or college have to deal with that kind of stuff. So, Hmm. um, so, but I'm really grateful Regent and particularly Bill Hathaway, who's the current vice president has been so supportive of me that for 20 years, I was able to be a good mom, to mm. feel like I could be there for my kids when they needed me, show up for the star student awards and, you know, yeah. take them to soccer and all that. I might have been doing email on the sidelines while they were doing their soccer game. But um, so I've been very um, grateful for that. And mm. some environments are great for that. Other environments are tough, tougher on mm. that. Yeah. So. Did, am I right to say that you had to kind of um, maybe argue for maternity leave at first or something? Yeah, um, I was told. I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what I was told by uh, staff of HR was that I was the first faculty at Regent to have a baby and return to work. Okay. Ever. Huh. Yeah, in 2001. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
So um, that was, they didn't have a maternity leave policy. There was no precedence. Like nobody had had a baby and come back. Um, that hadn't happened before. So again, this is one of the reasons why I'm very loyal to, to, to Vice President Hathaway, um, to Bill Hathaway is because he helped me craft mm. that. And okay. so I had my leave, you know, and then I did my work, but I was a little more flexible. It was kind of like COVID before COVID, right? Where I was like, I could work from home a little more as long as I was getting my work done and everything was getting done. Yeah. Um, and those first, uh, well, six weeks off and then six weeks of kind of flex, pretty, yeah. pretty flex as long as I was doing my work kind of thing. And that really um, made me loyal, mm. put it that way. Made me really feel like, okay, if they can support me and kind of my time of major life transition, then I'm going to stay here i'm gonna yeah. make this my, my that's, home it's mm -hmm. really neat i don't know if you saw uh what dr stevens is doing with like she's doing a monthly group kind of for mothers or those expecting to become mothers but i think um it's it's nice to see the university really the the people within the university stepping up and doing things to make students who are deciding to have start a family through grad school um yeah. have some support that's really cool I'm yeah, it's been that. one of the joys of my life, actually, to be able to support other mm -hmm. moms and dads having their kids either while they're in grad school or new professors, that sort of thing. And just, yeah. you know, just there's just little things that you can do for each other in a community that make a really big difference mm -hmm. in helping people with that transition um, and uh, having their first or second or in the case of Alexandra, um, now alumni, uh, fifth child while in grad school. <laughs> oh. So. I know. I don't know how. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so you've been here at Regent since 99. Is that right? 99. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to ask, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Do you, but what do you think? Yeah, I think continuing to grow the Karis Institute. So one of the most beautiful things that happened with Jim Sells and I in that China project is we developed a bond. Like he's my mm. brother and I'm his <laughs> sister. And now it's been really great through COVID. Uh -huh. um, and the university has given us um, a co-chair. We're actually, we think we're the only co-chair anywhere. We've never seen anyone else be a co-chair mm. um, of the Hughes Endowed Chair. So that allows us to spend mm, a third to half of our time doing research and outreach kind of activities. Uh -huh. And we have really based on our experience in China, we, we've really focused it on working with churches, working with explicitly Christian marriage interventions whenever mm -hmm. possible, um, as well as continuing the hope project, which um, Jim sells is the co supervisor for me on that. And then I run all the researchy stuff for it. So, um, so we have lots of projects going on with Karis Institute. And I think that's really where I'm going to put my energy for the next mm -hmm. decade of my life. Um, and then, you know, barring the Lord returning or giving me something else to do. Um, so, uh, but that's kind of looking like what, what I'm going to be spending. And it's great. Um, we really work well together and um, we have gotten to know each other well through these last two years. And we're doing this together. And particularly through COVID, it was like one of those added extra blessings. It, being a professor is a little bit isolating. It's a job hmm. just in general. Like psychologists is similar. You're in there. You're with people all day, but you're serving them, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you know, you're not with your coworkers so much. Kind of a collaborative. Um, as a professor, I don't spend much time with other faculty. Most mm -hmm. of my time is with students. 
similar with the psychologist. You spend most of your time with your patients, not with other psychologists. But because Jim and I are working together, I I just didn't feel lonely during COVID because there was like, we were meeting multiple times a week throughout, even during lockdown, you know, we were on the phone together on Zoom. We'd meet outside, like we were actively doing things and it was great for that. Mm. Just encouraging people in your own career to think about that, like having a work sister, a work brother, people that, you know, you are peers with each other, you're working together towards things. It's really great to do that. Yeah. Well, what a great friendship that you were able to develop through all of that. Can you tell me a little bit more about the different projects you have going on with the Karis Institute? Sure. Um, So we have quite a few things going on with Karis. Uh, In fact, sometimes we we have to make lists on the board, like, (laughs) which which project is going on? Uh So we have a... Uh, Grace Together is the main project. It's kind of our entry-level project for churches. So when you do church-based intervention, you have to kind of connect in Hmm. with churches and kind of speak their language, right? Uh And churches are about programming, right? Like there's vast majority of programming. So we developed the Grace Together program a couple years ago, putting essentially some of his things from the conflict model and the Grace model, which he's done, and the HOPE model, put Hmm. those together and made the Grace Together model. And it... um, made that into like a six hour kind of intervention. Uh Um, We got some funding to be able to do videos on that. And so now that's kind of running. Um, So we have churches that that use it and we do program evaluation work of it. So pre post follow up kind of quick measurements and that keeps us all out of trouble. So we have that we developed another one like a follow-up one that's ready to go um, called Loyal Love, which is essentially Christian virtues, but no one's allowed to use the word virtue because nobody shows up for a class on virtue. In a church. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <true>. <laughs> like, we all want to be more forgiving and more compassionate and more kind. But if you say, come to a class on virtues, then no one will come. <laughs> but essentially it's that as a couple's group. So mm. it's not a video-based curriculum now. It's like, once you've done grace together, you want to keep going after that six-week group. Now do an eight-week group. And every week is a kind of a different theme. So, so we've de- we're doing a lot of developing curriculum. Um, we have a few PsyD students this fall who are leading um, the Grace Together group on Zoom. So we hmm. have couples doing that with them, and we're doing a little evaluation of that. Um, and then we're building partnerships. We're working on a book proposal that's like an edited book on ministering to families in crisis, because that's also... Like working with churches, you want to listen to them. And when we sit down with pastors and collaborate with them and consult with them, repeatedly they keep saying, like, these couples, like Mm -hmm. infidelity, like, what do I do? You know, Mm -hmm. like, there's so many divorces. What do I do? You know, or uh, we had to report child abuse. And I, Mm -hmm. I, like, freaked me out, you know, and these pastors or or family ministers of various types um, are really having a tough time with mm. the families in their churches. And we said, we could help with that. So we're putting together a book proposal on that. So every chapter has a different author. So I've been spending a lot of time on that this fall, putting the proposal together for that. So we might have some more grant stuff in the future. We'll see. Oh, that all sounds very fascinating. Has it been pretty straightforward on getting different churches buy-in on this? Yeah, for the most oh. part. I mean, churches are different. It's a yeah. different venue you know Uh and so that's part of 
what we've been doing the last couple of years is mm. creating our method, right? Uh -huh. So like we're working with CBN on a project at the beginning of next year. And I think that'll increase our reach some more. Yeah. Um, so we kind of have to like, it's almost like being mid-career, but starting over in some ways because mm. churches don't know us, you know, uh -huh. we're, and we're fuddy-duddy middle-aged professors. You know, we're not, we're, we're not like razzle-dazzle type <laughs> people. So, um, so you're pretty razzle-dazzle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I'm no, I'm no Beth Moore. You know what I mean? Like that kind of type person. So, um, so we're trying to find out exactly where it is with what God's equipped us with and we're more scholarly, more researchy type people. So how do we use that? And our yeah. mission is really kind of working church by church and creating networks, um, getting to know church pastors, that sort of thing. That's what we've been doing. Mm. We just presented at AACC, the American Association of Christian Counselors, which a lot of pastors and pastoral counselors attend. Okay. So, so we had hundreds of people come to our, our training for that and uh, got a chance to kind of talk to them some more about things. So that's kind of how it works. But we just kind of laughed because we're like, we're just really not marketing people. Like nah. that's not us. So <laughs> God knew that when he called us. So we're just going to depend on God to do the rest of the, the gap yeah. of the work. Yeah. I'm sure it'll all come to, it'll be very, um, very prosperous. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, yeah. one thing is like, I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, or if you've, you've, I don't know if you've heard that new podcast that's out the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Um, uh -huh. So about Mars Hill church and how it, you know, just the, one of the problems with their leadership is that, he was so young mm. and immature going mm. into the role. And that's one of many problems, but I, I think that's really true. Like when taking on a new area of work or study, like be patient with slow progress, moving mm. slowly, not wishing for too much success too quickly, because that can be worse actually mm. than slow. Like, Oh, I wish 50,000 churches signed up for our stuff. But, in reality, that would be the worst thing that could happen. Mm -hmm. So just trusting that process. Yeah, it reminds me of the the verse about the he who is faithful in the least will be faithful in the greatest and right. kind of building up to that. Yeah, Absolutely. you have to prove yourself kind of first, right? Right. There's a natural yeah. process for that. That yeah. you know, even Moses had to go live in the wilderness for forty years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I think that's about all the questions I had for you, is there anything that you'd kind of like to say this? So um, this is for, I'm mostly targeting um, oncoming students or students in psychology, or just anyone interested in any of the things that any of you all have to say. So is there anything that you'd like to say to, end, to close this out? Well, I just thank you, Daniel. It's wow. been a really great way to spend an hour and just to be able to talk about what I what God's doing in my life really yeah. and to be able to share some of that and um and ways in which people can partner and join mm -hmm. in and uh, kind of be part of what what God is doing and so I'm I'm really excited about being able to share that and hope uh -huh. that people will enjoy listening to this and just really thankful and proud of you for doing this uh -huh. podcast series I think it's very timely um is is just exactly what is needed right now it's been very nice um, talking with you today and talking with the different people I have been able to so far because we 
we come in not really knowing what our, our future career might look like. And it's so helpful to hear how all of these different stories kind of um, come together and all of the things that you're doing. And it gives us kind of people to um, kind of, oh, well, you know, she did it this way. He's doing it this way. And there was a curveball here. So it's it's just kind of gives us all um, maybe a, a little bit of a glimpse and an idea of kind of where we want to form, how we want to form our career and what we want it to look like. And and that if it doesn't turn out well, that's fine. And some of us might get calls from China. Other people might not, you know. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Curveballs will definitely happen. Yeah. And things you think are going to happen don't happen. And, you know, and threats show up on the horizon and you think, oh, no, you know, I'm I had to be program director. How the heck am I going to continue my mission when they needed to be program director for several years in the past? But it all worked out, you know, and yeah. it's OK. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Dr. Ripley, for joining us today. It's been a been a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. You take care.